0: There is no health without mental health. Greetings and welcome to Beyond Madness from me, Christopher Paul Sabo. As a psychiatrist, I host conversations with thought leaders from psychiatry and beyond, discussing topics that whilst emanating from within the discipline have relevance for society. Beyond Madness is proudly brought to you by Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of inspiring communities of one pharmacy A recent article in the Spectator magazine posed an intriguing question. Is losing God making America miserable? The author cited a poll showing that the percentage of Americans believing in God had dropped from more than 90% in the period between 1944 and 2011 to 81% as of May 2022. They further noted that depression and anxiety rates were at all time highs. Now, association is not causation. But where does religion, our belief systems, where do they fit into our lives? And are they even necessary to live a fulfilled life? On today's podcast entitled Religion, Beliefs and Well-Being, I welcome doctors Ian Westmore and Leonard Erickson. Ian is a psychiatrist in private practice in Bloemfontein. He is a former president of the South African Society of Psychiatrists, and he has a current interest and active involvement in leadership amongst young psychiatrists. Ian wrote a fascinating article for South African psychiatry related to neurotheology, which we will be discussing. Lenart is a retired, and I put retired in inverted commas, psychiatrist attached to the University of KwaZulu-Natal. He is the past convener of the South African Society of Psychiatrists Spirituality and Religion Special Interest Group. He too has written for South African Psychiatry on the topic of belief systems and their importance in the psychiatric evaluation process. He also occasionally contributes wonderful photos of birds, the Feathered Variety, to the publication, residing as he does on the south coast of KwaZulu-Natal. Ian and Lenot, welcome, and thank you for making the time to join me and to join us in discussing an important topic, I think one that likely has direct or indirect relevance for many South Africans. Now, I've linked religion and belief systems to well-being in the title of today's podcast, and I think there is uh, sufficient data to make such a link. But of course, as we learn each day, as good scientists and clinicians, there is data, and then there are people. And yet it seems to me that all humans believe in something, even if that something is nothing. Paradoxical as that may sound, but nihilism is a recognized belief system. There seems to be a species imperative to believe, and so Ian's article on neurotheology which was subtitled The Neuroscience of Religious and Spiritual Experiences, was for me so fascinating as in a sense it brought what might appear to be two conflicting areas into one in dealing with the science of religion as well as spirituality, subjecting such experiences to scientific study, but also making a clear distinction between religion and spirituality, which is obviously critically important. So Ian going straight to the opening paragraphs of the article, which are necessary in terms of framing today's conversation, this issue of spirituality versus religion. So would you care to elaborate on, on, on spirituality and, and what spirituality means versus what religion means? So let's start with spirituality.
1: Uh, thanks, Christopher. Um, I, I think the, just, just to start off with, one, one needs to probably understand that spirituality is, a broader concept uh, than just religion um if you if you just look at the basic definition of religion the oxford dictionary defines it as the belief and worship in a superhuman controlling power especially a god or uh, other gods if you if you can put it that way whereas spirituality um is a much broader um concept and in modern times the emphasis is On the subject of experience, you can say it's the deepest values and meanings by which people live. It incorporates personal growth and transformation, usually uh, separate from organized religious institutions, uh, such as a belief in a supernatural, something beyond the known or the observable realm, but also incorporating things such as personal growth or a quest for an ultimate or sacred meaning, uh, religious experience, or even an encounter with your own inner dimension, mm. so um, that that could incorporate um, religion almost as the um, the mechanism by which you exercise your spirituality, as it were. But um, they they're two different concepts.
0: Certainly, the different concepts. Are- I don't know if one could say there's almost a hierarchical relationship because it almost feels as if religion is embedded within spirituality and that the path to spirituality can encompass religion, which for me feels uh, much more formalized, much more structured and generally more collective in that people come together to worship in the house of God, yep. so to speak, be it a church, a shul, a mosque, whatever, or a temple. So I think that there are obviously differences. And so for me, spirituality is much more individual um, and it involves, for me, reaching out as well as delving deeper in. Hmm. So I think it moves in two directions. Leonard, what are your thoughts there?
2: I concur very much indeed. Uh, to me, spirituality is really the exploration of who am I, mm. whereas religion is formalized and it becomes much more part of the community and it incorporates the whole thing which is necessary for us human beings is connectedness. Mm. Spirituality per se is looking at the inner self. Right. Religion incorporates society, incorporates politics, incorporates finance, incorporates so many aspects of being a human being.
0: But we of course, want, yeah. what sorry, carry on, Leonard.
2: We want to try and understand our existential reality. And that is what both religion and spirituality try to achieve.
0: But I see there are, I mean, obviously there are very common areas. So if one looks at spirituality and religion, the, the, the themes of love, compassion... Altruism, life after death, wisdom and truth. I mean, if one looks at these things within the context of spirituality, it's, it's all in religion, actually, in the, in the teachings. So to some extent, these are, these are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think they are very inclusive and they represent different aspects potentially of the same thing, which is, which is a quest for something more in one's life, Mm. uh, meaning, purpose. Ian, Mm. your thoughts on that?
1: I, I think one perhaps needs to emphasise the the social uh, aspect of that because if you start mm. having a look at the um, our, our capacity to experience God or spirituality, that actually evolved um, as our brains evolved, um, yes. and, and that that's part of of um, what 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 has been studied. Uh, so you know. Things such as being able to communicate and to use symbols um, and to develop concepts uh, that are abstract, uh, Mm. those developed with the brain. Mm. Um, And then, you know, obviously then uh, that became uh, sort of an avenue for spirituality and eventually religion. But also the, the capacity to interact and to have social gatherings uh, also affected the brain's development. Right. That's um, so sort of a bi-directional yes. um, thing that happened as well. Um, and uh, as we developed socially uh, from an evolutionary perspective, our brains also developed certain um, ways of making it possible for us to uh, exercise religion and then spirituality um, as well. So I think the social component um, is also, you know, an important thing.
0: So I think that what I'm understanding, and maybe hopefully not too simplistically, is what one needs to have a, an evolved brain mm-hmm. to actually engage in religious practice. And that through engaging in religious practice, such as it has been, the brain evolves further. Yeah. And as you say, there's this bi-directional relationship between yeah. evolution of the brain, emergence yeah. of religion as a practice, yeah. further evolution of the brain, and so it goes. Leonard, your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I see that re- religion as very much built on our spirituality. If we go into the biology of the brain, the whole issue of mystical experiences, is really very important. Mm. One reads about the history and the evolution of religion. Substances play a significant Mm. role. Uh, These days we look at psilocybin, Mm. mescaline, uh, uh, ayahuasca, and substances like that that create a mystical experience. And that is very much part of us as human beings. We want to experience something existentially outside ourselves that is greater than ourselves. And that is a very important part of our mental functioning. And I believe that is the foundation of religion, which then built on that and created the social construct, which allows society to form one body where they connect.
0: Well, you see what I find really interesting, because you've mentioned the hallucinogenics or the psychedelics, and there's a lot of discussion now around the use of psilocybin for all sorts of things. Uh, and, you know, I think as a medical person, when somebody comes forward with a product that appears to be a panacea for everything, you kind of ask a question, well, is it then a panacea for anything? Because the truth of the matter is, it, it, it seems inconceivable that one substance, in this instance psilocybin, is going to answer all these questions. And so I started to think about it a little bit more, and then I began to... To look at it within the context of contemporary society, and the one thing that every person who will take psilocybin well generally it, it, it seems to be the case will have a spiritual experience and so I then began to think about the fact that people are seeking spirituality and therefore is it not spirituality which underlies so many of the so-called conditions, so much of the suffering, so much of the struggle of daily living, which we have potentially medicalized into disorders, and that what people are really looking for is something spiritual. And, of course, psilocybin takes everybody there. So, in a sense, it's true. Psilocybin does provide an answer for, for many people who have different Problems, so to speak And yet maybe the fundamental commonality Between many of these problems Be it depression, anxiety, substance abuse You name it Pain is the Absence of spirituality or the need for spirituality. So I'm just putting that into the mix because you know you've you've raised the issue of of, of substances, and I know Ian that in in your article you also comment on uh, psilocybin. And I mean I go back to Aldous Huxley's Doors of Perception, um, and another Spectator article written with the title "How LSD (Lysergic Acid uh, Diethylamide) Helped Me to Find God," and so. You know, the use of substances to 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 enter into that spiritual domain of existence seems to be pretty much key, and so I think it echoes what you're saying, Leonard. Your thoughts, Ian, on 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 that?
1: Yeah, I think that we uh, we're definitely seeing an, an increase uh, in in this, um, and and one sort of wonders um, whether it is uh, that people are genuinely seeking a spiritual experience because it gives a Sort of a spiritual experience, or whether they are merely seeking just to get away from reality, mm. <laughs> as, as reality is painful, right? Um, and increasingly more, um, more and more painful. Um, and and I think that you know that well. That's perhaps my view. I think that sometimes the problem with um, a lot of religious experience uh, uh, practices um and especially very fundamentalist religious uh, uh practices is that um people don't necessarily learn how to deal with pain and i think it's the, the 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 same problem with people that are just seeking to have some sort of out of body experience just to avoid the pain of life so for some people um the problem with their religious experience or even their spiritual experience is that it becomes meaningless when it doesn't relieve the pain that mm-hmm. I experience in life. Um, or if I become so overwhelmed by life that at the end of the day, I, I can't deal with things because I'm so depressed, um, then my religious experience or yes. my spiritual experience doesn't mean anything to me.
0: I just uh, find... I mean I'm, I'm thinking about religion and I'm thinking about the rituals of religion and I find that very often people engage very religiously in the rituals and for them that is religion and I think that echoing your, your point, the issue of spirituality is lost. So it's almost if I if 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 I adhere to the rituals, I'm being a good person. I'm a religious person. I'm a devout person, but you're not going beyond in terms of actually tapp- tackling some of the deeper issues of mm-hmm. life and some of the things that maybe trouble you. And, 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 and haunt you in, in that sense. So I, I, and, and this is not a criticism of religion. It's just an observation. I don't know what your thoughts are, Leonard, but I mean, for me, I see that for some people, it's very much just a, a ritualistic practice as opposed to delving deeper. And, and there we talk about now going into the more spiritual realm where religion is a vehicle to potentially get you there.
2: I have very different views on that. Mm. I think that the churches, these huge gatherings of people that are part of a fundamentalist belief system are really subscribing to the hope that is offered by such institutions. Mm. I think that the spiritual component, the meditative component, the exploring of the self is entirely lost. Yes. And the silence of a beautiful old church going to a ritual of meditation, which we'll perhaps speak a little bit about, which allows one to experience silence and experience the voice within oneself. So I think that modern churches have really lost, in a sense, the need to fulfill spiritual hunger Mm. has been replaced by some materialistic promise of hope if they belong to this particular church or whatever the case may be. And that I find incredibly sad because it's really avoiding the issue and the beauty of spirituality. Well, that- Music is just such a wonderful component that emphasizes yes. that part of our brain that requires to connect with spiritual and sensitive things in our head.
0: Well, certainly I'm, I'm thinking about the experience of being in a, in a, in a chapel alone. Mm-hmm. And there is something about that silence that is very peaceful and mm-hmm. gets one to be much more reflective and introspective and to really mm-hmm. engage with one's thoughts, feelings, issues. And to some extent, I mean, might one say that prayer is a kind of meditation in itself? I'm not saying that it is, but just a question. I'm going to ask you, Leonard, because we've raised the issue of of, of this Mm. kind of meditation. And then I'll flip to you, Ian, to see what your thoughts are. So, Leonard, I mean, meditation and prayer, are they one and the same? Is that what we're doing when we pray? Are we, in a sense, meditating as we reflect and we engage more meaningfully with the things that trouble us and try to find solutions?
2: I think prayer is very much a part of the whole thing that we're discussing. Having been with monks Mm -hmm. who then in dark churches with only one red lamp shining will offer a prayer followed by a long period of silence. That, I think, is really enhancing a spiritual experience. Being in a guitar-filled, drum-filled room with people speaking about all sorts of issues, I think is the other side of what I, uh, uh, what I believe in.
0: Well, certainly, before I get back to Ian, just talking about you know the collective, I do find um, in the mass. I'm Catholic, full disclosure. Um, there's a point in the mass where everybody turns to everybody else. And they offer them a sign of peace. Mm -hmm. And you shake hands and you make eye contact and you exchange uh, a greeting, often with strangers around you because that's what you're encouraged to do. So I think that even as much as one is talking about the individual pursuit, Mm -hmm. there is something in the collective that I think Mm -hmm. is very important. And I think that's a human need, actually, to reach out And the touch, the physical contact, which is very important. And uh, just sharing and saying, go in peace, you know, because I think peace is something we all want. Ian, I'm talking too much. Your (laughs) comments.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think if you think of of prayer perhaps in a different way as a, a more basic understanding of it as being a communication with God, or whatever your concept of God is um, then then we have to think that there's some sort of communication happening up here right, um, whereas meditation is not necessarily a communicative process right so um, you know when you 're meditating and if you look at what happens in your brain um, you essentially using your frontal lobes uh, mm-hmm. to meditate um, and uh, if you start using. Uh, language uh, such as in, you know, a Catholic prayer, nuns praying, um, it actually employs different areas of the brain, including the the frontal and the temporal areas of the brain, more than what you would, for instance, just meditating. Right. Um, So, yeah, I I, I think that it depends on how you look at it. Um, It's interesting. I I think that people nowadays... um, the the focus is much less on the so, when people say that I'm a spiritual person, they're yes. actually saying I'm actually not interested in the the social component right. <laughs> uh, yeah. that is involved in in going to church or in you know organized religion. It's it's an introspective process. It's a, it's an alone process. They don't think of it often as a process where they're doing something with other people. The moment you start doing things with other people, communication gets involved. right? Um, And then that perhaps alters also the way that you communicate with God because you're using different parts of your brain. I hope that
0: makes sense. No, no, but I think it's fascinating because really what we're looking at is the ability of neuroscience and technology to study the brain within the context of certain – activities, moving from meditation, which is silence, to prayer beyond meditation, which now invokes communication. And suddenly there are different parts of the brain that are actively engaged and involved in this process. And so for me, this is the coming together of of, of science and religion in that sense, where and, and spirituality, where we can actually look at the brain and we're seeing that a lot of these experiences have a biological underpinning? Or, I mean, is it the biology driving the experience or is it the conscious experience driving the biology? I mean, what comes first? Or is that maybe too difficult a question to answer? Lenart, what are your thoughts? And then I'll come back to Ian.
2: Well, I think, as I often say, everything starts in the brain. Right. And so the biology of the brain has evolved over millions of years until we came to the point of consciousness. And it's the whole issue of consciousness which confronts us. It's the understanding that we have a beginning. We were born. We didn't ask to be born, but we were born. Then we have this life experience with all the issues and difficulties that make up the life experience. And then suddenly we have to understand that this is only a temporary sojourn. Mm. It's a journey that that is going to end at some time. We don't know when it's going to end. And, of course, then the question comes, what happens afterwards? Yes. If this is an existential reality which is so painful to bear, then when I die, there must be something more to this experience than just living and then dying. And that is very much part of the dogma and doctrine of all religions, as opposed to spirituality, which says we're not going to answer those questions. We don't have answers. But we have one question for you. How are you as a person fitting in to this existential reality? And how do you accept and deal with the truth that you're going to die? That is
0: so in a sense, and maybe I'm misunderstanding, but the, the way I'm understanding what you're saying, spirituality is very much about here and now, life as it is, whereas potentially in religion, it's about the life hereafter. And so for me, although we didn't discuss that as a differentiation between spirituality and religion, that is something to potentially consider. Ian, what would your thoughts be on that?
1: I I think it's a little bit more than just uh, considering life hereafter. I I think one of the things that we, and and I think Leonard uh, alluded to that, is that makes us unique uh, in terms of our brain function as humans is that we seek meaning Mm -hmm. uh, in things. Um, So we um, have the capacity to think back and to think forward uh, much further than what we believe other brains can do. Yes. Um, and uh, that's why we seek meaning in things. But that's also a cause of tremendous suffering for us um, because we we can't just remain in the now. And, and a lot of what spirituality seeks to do is to actually bring us to a place of being able to connect with the now mm-hmm. without being so anxious about where it came from and where we are going. Um, and, I, and I think that's where people have a conflict. So the capacity of our brain to actually be able to do these things makes us able to uh, do incredible things, uh, but it's also a cause of a huge amount of our suffering. And, that, and a lot of what religion does is to address uh, that meaning and that suffering um, and I find it um, quite amazing to see in, in patients whose brains are unwell yes. um, how that becomes distorted <laughs> mm. and how they actually then, um, you know, go off at a, a seeming uh, tangent um, and develop, uh, you know, some sort of a religious belief to try and um, actually address the <clears throat> issues that they're experiencing in terms of meaning. It's right. simply something like depression. Yes. Uh, and 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 often they they would then go and seek um spirit uh you know or religious uh, guidance regarding that, but come back very unsatisfied um because they, they they're not getting the answers that they want
0: well, I think one has to be careful that you 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 don't think about these things in terms of a tick box if I do this, then that happens, and then the next thing there's no a to Z. Of this, I think the journey is, is, is much more complex and I think it, it has many deviations. So, there are two things that I wanted to come back to. But, Lennart, you wanted to just come in on that? Yeah, point? just to
2: say there's a huge body of work led by Harold Koenig at the Duke University where he has looked at CBT and then looked at religious CBT.
0: Just coming and his, just, just, just to clarify, Lennart, CBT, just
2: a cognitive behavioral therapy,
0: right. That's a a psychotherapeutic approach.
2: Yes, there's normal cognitive behavioral therapy, but then he has instituted a format which is a religious cognitive behavioral therapy. Hmm. And he, in his findings, says that the people who are religious are, first of all, less depressed, but they resolve their depression better with religious cognitive behavioral therapy with normal cognitive
0: behavior. Therapy. So just to clarify, I mean cognitive behavior therapy really looks at dysfunctional thoughts or your way of thinking how it influences how you behave. And obviously that has an impact on how you feel, and there is this constant loop between thoughts, actions, and feelings. So essentially, for me, CBT in in a word is about logic, and it's about looking at what you do that may be irrational or illogical or contribute to some of your own distress and and, and and dysfunction and how you correct that. How does that work in terms of religion? Are we talking here about finding biblical solutions to life's problems? Is, is is that what CBT-R is?
2: No, I think religious CBT requires, first of all, that the person themselves is religious. Okay. And then using religious strategies, actual things that they have to do, which for them in their belief system, is logical. Their credence, as it's now called, is a religious credence, and that allows them to deal with a mood issue and see it in context of their religious belief
0: system. So would there be a theoretical underpinning in in terms of causation where you have not necessarily been true to your religion, therefore, this is why you feel what you feel, hence, you need to come back to the path to find peace, a better mood, less anxiety, whatever. Uh, Am I understanding that correctly?
2: I don't have enough experience to answer that, but I presume that it gives the person existential meaning by them rejoining, reconnecting with their spiritual beliefs.
0: Okay. so. I'd mentioned there were two things that I wanted to come back to, and, and, and this issue of meaning, because, Ian, you mentioned the word meaning, and I want to quote Viktor Frankl. He's one of my favorites, and, and he said, psychological problems are related to failing to meet our basic spiritual need for meaning, and I think this is very important, meaning, and he went on to say, due to egotistically – This is the individual pursuing happiness and success based on misguided values. Now he brings in, so there's values, there's the ego, there's meaning, there's all of these concepts. But I think the fundamental issue is is around meaning. What's your purpose? Why are you here? Which I suppose also speaks to where did we come from? Where are we? Where are we going? So Ian, your thoughts in in, in terms of what Viktor Frankl had to say about that spiritual need for meaning.
1: I, th- I think one would probably argue that um, that that would be part of everyone's um, makeup and their development, and that's why a lot of people are moving uh beyond what we call the classical biopsychosocial model yes <laughs> and understanding of things to a more biopsychosocial spiritual um, model as well um because that's an acknowledgement of um that in everyone there is at least a spiritual component um how you understand that and how you give expression to that um is is very different but but that will affect your um view on things um and how you develop and 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 so on um just to come back to the ego yes. um, yeah probably um <laughs> Our ego uh the way we understand the ego, and remember that my understanding is that the ego is something that that is necessary but it's 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 not all of us yes. um, The ego can very easily be um sort of uh the, how should we say uh caught up uh with religion uh specifically with good and bad, and right. whether I am you know uh, doing enough or not doing enough. But it's a perpetual uh, cycle of not being satisfied, um, and and that's often, I think, why people then move away from spiritual experiences because they're caught up in ego. Mm. But you probably need to understand that it, that there's a movement beyond ego that we're much more uh, than just our ego. Our ego is just our vehicle by which we navigate uh, the world in in our sort of human way. Yes, Um and and I think. Perhaps uh, people uh, identify too strongly with ego, and a lot of our work is to help them to move beyond that. And that necessarily then moves you to other realms as well. And that's when people start saying, okay, well, I've got to start looking beyond just that which I understand. Yes. Because death is, for instance, um, a big threat to the ego. <laughs> right. Uh, and that causes significant anxiety to us. Um, and that's why it's more
0: comforting to
1: know that we're not just ego.
0: Absolutely. So, Lenot, you wanted to jump in?
2: Yes. Uh, the biopsychosocial model I've put into the center of that, beliefs. Mm. Because when I'm in the clinical situation, I ask the patient, what do you believe in? And I get remarkable answers from being only scientific, data-based, to being mystical, to being fantasy supernatural. And so it's so important in the clinical situation to really understand and incorporate what the person actually believes in. And, of course, faith is a component of belief. It's a component of belief. So some people have very strong faith beliefs, Mm. but when they're in a different context, they might have another credence. For example, they might believe in science, or they may believe in only data, or they may believe in conspiracy theories. So the whole thing of asking persons what they believe in will allow you a broader perspective of that person's mental functioning and mental health.
0: Well, I think that is a very important component of the of the clinical interview. I do I, I I ask all of my patients about their religious beliefs mm-hmm. actually, and it's often a difficult question because I say, "Well, mm-hmm. what religion are you?" and I'm often met with silence. Some people are on the other hand very clear, I'm this or I'm that or I'm the next, but for many and and it surprises me because it's not a trick question. It's just a straightforward question, but it's kind of re- revealing in its, in its own way. And, and, and we tend not to dwell because I don't focus on that. It's almost like just part of the history taking where I'm just curious. Um, but sometimes it can be a departure point, but I want to come back to this issue of biopsychosocial spiritual. And I think that the discipline of psychiatry is increasingly moving in that direction. I think that we look upon ourselves as a medical discipline that is the most Well, maybe those are my words, but I would regard us as the most holistic of all of the medical disciplines. We really do look at the whole person, and we're adding a new dimension. And what's really interesting to me is that's coming out of research. And Cloninger is a name that I think uh, many of us are familiar with, and certainly he's looked at personality and the different aspects and dimensions of personality, of which there is one called self-transcendence. And here we are talking about the individual who looks beyond themselves and their immediate existence, which to some extent captures the essence or part of the essence of, of, of spirituality. And certainly the link between people who are more self-transcendent and happiness is there. And I think that the experience of life is a little bit different to those with low self-transcendence. So there certainly seems to be something in the need for spirituality or having a more spiritual basis to your existence, which contributes maybe to a better quality of life, but also in how you adapt to suffering or in fact, when facing death. So I think it's, 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 it's really important in, in a world that is fairly preoccupied with life and fears death, this whole issue of spirituality as, as a, as a means to actually navigate through this. Leonard?
2: I'm going to, in fact, go the American Psychiatric Association's route, yes. which is avoiding the issue of spirituality and religion and speaking about culture. Uh-huh. So when I have African patients right. and I ask them what do you believe in, they pr- provide the most interesting answers because from part of them in their history they have an animistic belief system. Yes. So they believe in their ancestors, they believe in supernatural spirits, they believe in the spirituality of rocks and rivers, and then they have the post-colonial belief system, which is a monotheistic belief system, and has to supplicate themselves to a a Christian God or an Islamic God, so they have quite a diverse understanding of the world, and it's really part of culture. Mm -hmm. It really is part of culture. And when you look at what is happening in so many parts in in the Middle East, so much of what is happening there is not actually religion. It's actually ensuring that the culture is being maintained.
0: Well, I think what's really interesting is is, is the whole issue of ancestors Mm. and the importance of, of, of ancestors within the culture. And obviously, that is a very powerful belief system. And I mean, Leonard, you've written specifically about uh, belief systems, and obviously, you've touched on mystical, scientific, religious, spiritual, and now we're getting into the issue of 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 cultural, which kind of seems to incorporate religious and mm-hmm. spiritual, because it's mm-hmm. a fundamental belief system, and it's and and it's where and and in fact, I'm I'm going to come back to Scott. I'm going to come not come back to, but I'm going to come to Scott Peck. Because I recently, <laughs> I was looking for a book called Essentialism, which is a book that it shows you how to live a simpler life. Mm. So I walked into the bookshop and I asked for it and and, and and they didn't have it. So I turned to my right and they had this shelf with various books that they were kind of promoting. And there was Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. And I thought, goodness me, that's a throwback. And I'd read it many, many years ago. It wasn't my copy, but I bought a copy. And I came to his section on religion, and he says something really interesting. He says, what is religion? And he says, fundamentally, it's the understanding of what life is all about. And now, so this comes to beliefs. And so in that sense, he says, everybody has religion, and that we define religion too narrowly, and that we need to look at it more broadly. So I'm going to throw Scott Peck's definition of religion into the mix, and Ian, I'm going to come to you and say, well, what do you make of that?
1: Yeah I I I think that makes sense um and as I said earlier I think that we inherently that's part of our suffering as human beings is that we have this capacity to actually make sense as to pose, as opposed to my bulldog yes just happy to sit down next to me and uh to accept whatever is, is in the moment. So that's a very good example. Of very mind.
0: Buddhist. Very Buddhist, <laughs> your bulldog. In fact, I like the image of the bulldog as Buddha. No offense to Buddhists. But uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. it's very mindful. <laughs> so,
1: so, I, I think that, that religion, you used the word vehicle uh, earlier on. Yes. I, I think that uh, that probably best describes um, you know the, the the different components that we that our brains then have employed uh, to actually be the vehicle for our um, uh, spirituality at different stages of our lives, uh, and then also to give meaning to them. Um, yeah, you, you spoke about the ancestors just yes. as well. I just happened to because uh, in in the Christian belief, we don't often think of ancestors, uh, and we don't refer to them. And I actually read a piece this morning um, by one of the mystics who actually said that that there's actually reference in the Bible yes. uh, to um, the, the female ancestors um, as being uh, ones that guide you and support you and so on. So that was just interesting to me. Um, so I, th- I think it depends. What struck me was that it depends on, what you see at different stages of your life. Um, and our experience of um, spirituality and religion does tend to uh, differ as we uh, progress in life. Um, and, I, and I think that we typically see uh, people perhaps delving into different religious practices, for instance, in their adolescence, when they are, their brains are developing in a different way uh, the abstract thinking is is changing um and then we also see often that um classically in in later life uh there's there 's more employment of uh, religious uh, experience or of religion and you would perhaps say that that 's because you're uh, you 're beginning to become anxious about dying and you you 're wanting to work out what 's going to happen and mm. and uh give meaning to that experience of dying at the end. Uh, but perhaps biologically, there's something happening as well. Um, and it's got to do with how your brain is changing as you're getting older as well. Um, uh, that The things like your hippocampus are changing. Right. Uh, and that's altering um, things in your brain, uh, perhaps causing a different type of uh, religious experience for you.
0: Well, I mean, we've spoken about Evolution and, 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 and religion. And now we're talking about maturation and mm. religion where the maturing brain is differently wired in a sense. And so thoughts, feelings, understandings shift as, as we go along. But just coming back to this issue of, of, of neurotheology. And I think one of the lobes we haven't mentioned is the temporal lobe. And I yeah. think for us in psychiatry, certainly. We know that certain forms of epilepsy, uh, complex partial seizures or so-called temporal lobe epilepsy, certainly uh, uh – lend themselves towards intensely religious experiences, religiosity, religiosity, should I say. And, and so there one might say, okay, there is a structural uh, component of the brain that is uniquely uh, uh, wired for those kind of experiences. And I think, you know, when we move into conditions like schizophrenia, Bipolar disorder, a bipolar who is manic, again, that religiosity. And so there seems to be no question that beyond brain um, structure, there's also function in terms of neurotransmitters. And so serotonin, dopamine, these all seem to be in some way linked uh, where dysfunctional. With religious experiences, I mean, and, and that doesn't sound really good to say. Well, it's dysfunctional brain that leads to excessive but inappropriate religious thinking. But certainly, the link between the the, the biological and the spiritual or religious experience, there seems to be a link. Leonard,
2: the Upsala study, looking at exactly and precisely that, looked at why are there people who are incredibly religious and other people seemed to have absolutely no interest in religion at all. Right. And they looked at serotonin receptor density uh-huh. and discovered that there was a difference in receptor density between people who were, by nature, uh, spiritual religious and people who said, I huh, don't know what you're talking about. I have no interest in that at all. I have beliefs, but I have no desire to follow a spiritual path or to be part of a religious organization.
0: So there is something in the biology of individuals that incline them more or less in different directions. So the question for me is, in essence, the neurobiology of of religious and spiritual experience, as we've been discussing, certainly demonstrates uh, an association between such experiences, brain structure, neurochemistry, So the question for me really is, does the identification of such an association suggest a species inclination towards such experiences, a species imperative or drive for such experiences, not because there is a God, but because as a species we need to believe in one or because there is a God who created a built-in system to communicate once sufficiently evolved or mature. So, for me, this is this is the question actually that comes out of, of of this. And I don't know what your thoughts might be in response. We can leave it hanging, and for the listeners to 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 think about themselves. But Ian, what would your thoughts be? in Lennart?
1: Yeah, I, I think from what I read, and as I, I wrote that article, um, you know, you you were hoping to get some answers, um, yeah. but actually, one is actually left hanging um, because it's sort of a question of is it the brain for God or God for the brain? Right. Um, and that's sort of what you're saying over there. So I, I think that neurotheology is, is beginning, and it's since the 1990s, it's beginning to, uh, with the technology that we have, beginning to show us uh, what is happening in the brain during certain spiritual experiences. Um, and and that's why, you know, there have even been experiments long ago to try and identify a God spot by activating certain parts of the brain, right? And, make, and, and sort of hoping that you would demonstrate some sort of a, a spiritual experience. Uh, those experiments were were, were quite flawed um, and and weren't really uh, definitive. Um, so I, I think the understanding that we're getting of the parts of the brain that are involved and the neurotransmitters that are involved. Are only giving us a part of the picture. <laughs>
0: mm.
1: We we can't um, we can't say that we know uh, the one or the other. Yes. What what I uh, what I have to accept is that it's uh, probably a bi-directional thing.
0: Yes. So we'll we'll leave your answer there, Leonard.
1: Um, I have a particular
2: interest in polytheistic religions. Uh-huh. From animism to uh, uh, to pagan beliefs, and then looking to see how society has moved away from polytheistic belief systems to a monotheistic belief system. Right. And that whole belief that there is a God, and you need to only look at, at Islam or at Christianity, where it says there is one God. I was looking at the, uh, uh, the credo of, of Christianity, which says there is only one God. So if one wants to look at it from a cultural perspective, one needs to understand that many people still hold a polytheistic belief system, which they then try and incorporate into a socially acceptable monotheistic belief
0: system. Right. So I want to bring it back to, because that's a deep question, and so as I said, I, I was just checking to see what your thoughts were, but I'm very happy to kind of leave it hanging because I think it is a, it's a profoundly individual question that each one of us has to kind of engage with and, and, and decide for ourselves if we think it's important at all. But certainly in terms of religion and psychiatry, I mean, As we've alluded to, it can be a symptom of illness, the religiosity. It can be a source of comfort. So we've spoken about the CBT with a religious flavor to it. It can also be a barrier to care where it's felt that – it's not appropriate to seek psychiatric or psychological help because religion is the answer. And I think that as psychiatrists, we need to be suitably sensitive and adequately trained. And we need to have the appropriate professional boundaries and respect for other people's belief systems and specifically that all faiths are, 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 and beliefs are, are equal in that sense. So do you think that as psychiatrists, just in, as we're coming to the, to the end that we actually are adequately trained in engaging with our patients and exploring these aspects of their being and how we incorporate that into how we engage therapeutically? Leonard?
2: Um, I have been very fortunate in that I've spoken on spirituality and religious to medical students and it's really appreciated that this area of their own lives is being addressed and of course its implication in terms of managing their patients. So I think there needs to be a much greater emphasis, both in medical training, pre-grad and post-grad, to being sensitive to the other people's belief systems, other people's religion, and other people's spiritual paths that they are following. I think it's important in the clinical situation and we're especially doing psychotherapy.
1: Ian? Yeah, I I perhaps uh, take it a little differently and and say that um, not only do we need to understand our patients and uh, all the pathology that they present with and how it presents, but we need to understand how our own functioning can impact our patients. Yes. Yes. and and your own spiritual experiences, your own religious beliefs, and so on, how that can either, you know, be a barrier to care or um, actually assist you in in helping your patients. Uh, So I think that an awareness of yourself and Mm. your evolving Mm. spirituality uh, and religion needs to be understood as much as your patients needs to be understood and they, and we 're unique in that situation in the medical profession because we have to look at it from both sides.
0: No, exactly, and I think that's why I was saying, you know, from a holistic discipline which was biopsychosocial, we're kind of expanding the holistic component to include spiritual, and I think it's in- incumbent on 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 each psychiatrist, certainly, given the importance of this area in 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 a person's functioning and and, and well being, to have a sense of their own. Beliefs, and also to be very clear on professional boundaries, and how you do not allow that to intrude into a therapeutic space inappropriately and potentially undermine the therapeutic potential of of, of an interaction. So, in closing, what I would say is that the relationship between religion, spirituality, and well-being is multifaceted and 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 deeply personal. As a discipline, psychiatry is and psychiatrists must be sensitive to such areas of the lives of our patients, non-judgmentally, and with that understanding of how beliefs can impact on help-seeking, understanding of illness, treatment, treatment compliance with treatment, and potentially a need for collaboration with faith-based or traditional healers, which is something that we haven't discussed, but it is uh, a reality. So I want to thank Ian and Lennart for their availability and willingness to to, to join us today. And I, uh, I'm going to close with a few words for you to ponder as we come to the end from the great Russian writer Dostoevsky from his novel Devils. The one essential condition of human existence is that man should always be able to bow down before something infinitely great. If men are deprived of the infinitely great, they will not go in living, go on living and die of despair. The infinite and the eternal are as essential for man as the little planet on which he dwells. So Remember, there is no health without mental health. I am Christopher Paul Sabo, and this is Beyond Madness, in proud association with Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Brave, inspiring communities, one pharmacy at a time.